Now it's time to talk to Damien Barr. Damien is a writer and a journalist whose 2013 memoir, Maggie and Me, made me laugh, cry and fall irrevocably in love with him. <laughs> he does all sorts of interesting things in Bookworld, including hosting his wonderful salon, now based at the Savoy. But today he's here to talk to us about his new novel, his first novel, You Will Be Safe Here. Damien, welcome. Thank you, Cathy. Maggie and Me was such a huge success. I wonder... Was it a struggle to work out what on earth to write next? Yes, this sort of difficult second album <laughs> syndrome. Um, I wasn't looking to write a novel and I wasn't also looking to write another memoir. I was just sort of still reeling from Maggie and me really because it took so much to write. I think you know this, having written a memoir, it's not just the writing of it, it's the going out and talking about it and sort of feeling incredibly vulnerable and but also incredibly loved. It's just a lot mm. when you do a memoir. And I wanted some time out, I think, afterwards. And I did only do a one-book deal with Bloomsbury, so I wasn't under any pressure to produce another book. But um, I came across a story, a newspaper story, in real life, which kept nagging at me and which I couldn't stop thinking about and couldn't stop following online. And it was a story that we'll come and talk about, a boy who'd been murdered in South Africa. And that real-life story is what led me to writing fiction. Mm. I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to write a novel, you know, I'm looking for an idea or anything like that. It was just a story which became something much bigger. And it became that because I couldn't answer all the questions. Mm -hmm. As a journalist, you know, I'm trained to do the whys and the wheres and the whos and all of that. But actually with a story, I, I couldn't find an answer um, or at least not one that was trustworthy and certainly not also in the present. So I had to go back in time, back in history. But yeah, it was not clear to me that I was writing a novel until I was about a year into it. And I was like, <laughs> I think I'm writing a novel, yeah. Oh, so tell us a bit more about the story. Well, the story is that I was looking online, it's where I first saw the story of Raymond Boyce, who was a boy who'd been murdered in South Africa. He'd been sent by his mum and her boyfriend to a camp. And the slogan of this place was, we make men out of boys, which is just incredibly sinister. Um, very tough place run by soldiers. This boy, Raymond Boyce, didn't fit in. Um, there was a discussion about whether he was gay or not. Um, he certainly didn't fit the very narrow idea of what it is to be a boy in Africana mm. culture. And he was murdered at this, this camp. He was tortured and killed, as were two other boys in, in the past years, I discovered. And I got to thinking, why do these places exist in South Africa? This, there's a network of these camps. Why do they exist here? And the answer I found back in 1900, which is during the Boer War, which we don't get taught in school anymore, here or there, which we've sort of forgotten about. Um, and we now think of it as being quite jolly, if we think of it at all, as a Victorian adventure. But the fact is the Boer War was brutal and horrific and it's where the British invented the concentration camp. Mm -hmm. So in South Africa there is a memory of these camps, these places and a determination to stop it again. So it's a great irony that um, you know, more women and children, by the way, died in these camps in 1900 than soldiers died in the war. So it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a great trauma for this nation. In order to stop that happening again, they've created these new camps uh, to train boys to be soldiers. Um, so there's a sort of historical pattern that's repeating itself. And I wanted to write a book which showed that big sweep of history, but from a very human level, from the level of Sarah and her son Fred and from the boy Willem in the contemporary story to really sort of humanise it. Because I think war is just such a big, you know, it's like global warming. It's like, you know, it's something we can't quite get our heads around. And I wanted to make it smaller and more human scale. So how am I going to get water today? Mm -hmm. You know, is my son well? 
what would I do to keep my son alive, these questions. So that's what I wanted to do to kind of make it human scale. Um, I was really looking forward to reading your novel because it's you and I would read a novel <laughs> about anything you wrote. But I must say, I was sort of surprised at how personally drawn into it I was because in the historic section, I really identified with Sarah trying to keep her six-year-old son mm. safe. My son is nine. Mm. And then, of course, Willem is quite like my son in some ways. You know, quirky boys don't always fit in. Mm -hmm. Is there or is there not something wrong with them? Are they or are they not too old to still be very into their cuddly toys? Um, And I think it's the power of the book, really, that before I knew where I was, I I, I sort of would have thought like, oh, South Africa, don't know much about that. But I was sort of drawn into the story because of wanting to read your book and then completely identified with it all the way through thank Um, you I've overwhelmed myself (laughs) well I mean it's hard though I think for hearing you talk about it as a mother and you know I don't have children but I was that boy Mm -hmm. and I think that it's been a really interesting hearing from mothers and fathers about their reactions to these stories because people we are worried about our children and where they fit in the world and will they find their place and will they be okay and in actual fact the reason that these parents send their sons to these places is they want them to be okay they're not doing it to torture them they're not doing it because they're bad parents they're doing it because they want their boys to be all right in a world that's very tough and in actual fact it's a cruel irony that the very doing of that is what's the undoing of some of these boys. They don't make men out of boys, they make corpses mm-hmm. out of boys. And I can see how emotionally direct that is for you. And it was it was that way for me. I'm so attached to all those characters and I think the difference between writing memoir and writing fiction became so clear to me with them because I I felt like I held their lives in my hand mm-hmm. and I had to take care of them. But at the same time, there were terrible things that were going to happen that I couldn't stop. Mm -hmm. And that's not how I thought writing fiction would feel. Because I felt that way about memoir. I I couldn't change what had happened in my life when I wrote Maggie and Me. I had to be honest about what had happened, even when it made me look bad. I had to tell the truth. So I was reaching out to events that I knew existed, you know, pulling them off the shelf. But with this, I was making things happen. But in a sense, they already felt predestined once the characters became real. Um, At the start, I could make them do anything, but once they became real people, I knew where they were going, and that was really hard. I did find the boys uh, very convincing, and I think in Maggie and me as well, your child voice just utterly convinces. And one of the reasons I think I enjoy your company is I always feel the boy is strong in you. (laughs) (laughs) I am childish. (laughs) You're You're allowed to just say that. Um, I feel a really strong connection and you're right it's been said of me before and I don't take it as an insult at all I feel that part of me is very much alive and in a strange way as I get older I think because I had to grow up so early and because as a young boy I had to take so much you know I was paying the gas bill at 10 I was Mm -hmm. making sure that my parents didn't turn up to parents night when I was 11 and you know stopping people killing one another in the house truly I think in a strange way, I have had a sort of deferred boyhood Mm -hmm. in a way. And as I get older and more responsible and safer, I feel quite happy to do those Mm -hmm. things that I maybe didn't get to do as a boy. I think it's about allowing yourself to be playful. And as men, we are not allowed that. This book really in many ways is about exploding the idea of toxic masculinity, Mm -hmm. which is harmful to women. And we see that in the story, but it's also harmful to men. And I really want to show with the character of the general, you know, who's this racist, 
Beggett, this kind of monstrous man in the book who tortures Willem and these other boys, but also to show his humanity and to show how he actually didn't need to be that way. He could be different. He could be a good man, but instead he's a bad man or a man who does bad things. And I want us to think about how it is that men get like that. Not excuse them, explain. No, it's a hard time to be a man, isn't it? Yeah, I think that it is for all sorts of reasons. I always think it's a hard time to be a woman. Mm. Um, I think it always has been. But what I wanted to show is how that's changing for men Mm -hmm. um, and how it's maybe not changing quickly enough in South Africa. You know, I was really shocked when I went there at how familiar that toxic mask culture was from growing up in the west of Scotland in the 1980s. It was like, wow, we're quite far behind here Mm -hmm. in lots of ways. And yet in other ways, much further ahead. South Africa was the first country in the world to put LGBT equality in the constitution. You know, it's the first country in the world to enshrine equal rights for queer people. So there's this great tension in that country between a push for equality and a drive for fairness and social justice and this history which is sort of holding people back and part of the reason for writing it was that I think you really cannot heal the present if you don't hear the past Mm -hmm. and this is a story that hasn't been told this Mm -hmm. this is a hidden history I didn't know about this until I started researching it I knew nothing until I started researching it and I want people to know what happened there and what we did And it's another huge societal challenge, isn't it? How we hear and then heal the past in some way. Not that we maybe have answers to it necessarily, but it's just a massive question for our time. It's about bearing witness. Sarah Perry writes about this and talks about this well in the connection with Melmoth. It's about bearing witness, not closing your eyes to it, not switching the channel, not turning away. You know, it's about exposing yourself and allowing yourself to sit with that pain. I had a therapist who always used to say, you know, I'd be sort of sitting there in tears and she'd say to me, it's huge and it's real. And I was like, yes, it is, it's huge and it's real, the pain is huge and real. But actually, it's very easy to anaesthetise yourself by going on Twitter or taking drugs or having sex or doing whatever it is that you want to do. But in actual fact, I think the greatest, the bravest thing, the most profoundly confronting thing that we can do is to bear witness to the suffering of other people. And in doing so, we are transformed. As individuals, we are transformed. Um, it was interesting, Philippa Perry said to me about this book, and obviously she's a therapist and, and a wonderful writer, and Philippa said that, you know, this book broke her heart, she said, but it put her heart back together again mm-hmm. and that it was different, mm-hmm. it was stronger. And I thought that was a really powerful thought. Philippa Perry is a good and wise woman, and her book is amazing, and I think she's spot on about... Your book, it is heartbreaking. There are very difficult things in it, but you do finish it feeling somewhat transformed by the experience. Was that in your mind? Is that how you wanted the reader to feel when they finished the book? The ending is something that I spent a lot of time thinking about um, because I didn't know how it was going to end when I started writing it and I changed my mind about it several times and now I think it's the right ending. I mean, I'm a bit rubbish if it isn't because it's out now, but <laughs> um, but I think you know there are all sorts of ways that book could have ended, um, but actually it had to end this way. And of course, the book goes on. The yeah. characters go on. I still think about them. Mm-hmm. Their lives exist and it's really interesting now to me hearing people talking about them and imagining, you know, because I've left a lot of space in the book. It's not a book with everything wrapped up in a bow. There is space in this book for you to think, 
did that happen that way or did this happen this way? You know, do I think this about that person? Do I think that about this person? You know, there is space for the reader. And I think it's in those spaces that readers find their own meaning and those grey areas. And I, so I've left a couple of those. And that's where the most interesting conversations about this book will happen. Mm-hmm. And will you, you are about to talk about this book extensively over the yeah. next few months. Do you enjoy that? I love it. I absolutely love it. I think it was Johnson who said a writer starts the book and a reader finishes it. Mm-hmm. And I love engaging with readers and hearing their stories. And I think this is a really interesting one because even already I've had people reach out to me and say, oh my God, my great-grandfather was in one of these camps and I didn't know it. I had one woman get in touch with me and say, my great-grandfather was a doctor, a British doctor in one of these camps and was probably a baddie in your book. You know, by telling this very specific story, you tap into universal feelings that people have and that's true, but also these very specific stories that are coming out about this history that we don't know about partly because we're ashamed. Mm. Um, And it's also this women and children, historically they're the victims, you know, yeah, they're all dead, nobody's really interested in what happens we're interested in the soldiers the heroes the generals you know Um, I want to tell the stories of those forgotten women and children and in the present day I want to talk about these boys who are being sent to these places still because they're still open and you know if one parent reads the book or talks you know hears me talking about the book and decides to do something different then then it will all have been worthwhile but I do love those conversations um so long as people aren't telling me I've got things wrong, <laughs> which is, there's always somebody who'll come up to you on a book tour and go, well, you know, usually it's about a train or a car or something. And they'll say, that train, that model of train didn't exist in 1900. And so, so I'm sure I've probably got something like that wrong. But, um, but other than that, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, very much. Well, I hope you enjoy it. Thank you ever so much for coming to talk to us today. Oh, it's a real pleasure. Thank you, Cathy.